Well, here we are. It is time, Simba. If you understand that reference, you might be about the age where we should be working together. It's possible. But it is now one of three times a year that I'm accepting clients for my freedom framework, overcoming food sensitivities and increasing energy without unnecessary restriction. My goal for my one-on-one clients is to take them through frameworks and explore tools for achieving 50, 80, 90% of their goals in just a few months and show them how to continue to heal on their own so they don't need me anymore. Honestly, I think we're doing great one-on-one work here, helping women that would otherwise be falling through the cracks, thinking that they're just aging, that they're just moms, that they just, and it may be true that they just have stress when really those stress hormones and their other core systems just really need some serious support and some serious love to serve them for years to come without symptoms. So if you'd like to clear inflammation, eczema, food sensitivities, or improve energy and brain clarity, I'd love to chat with you. You can book a call with me at kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, kristabigler.com forward slash FSS. And that link will be in the show notes. Ovulation is really like I think deserves the spotlight in our cycle because hormone production doesn't happen without ovulation. And we can get ahead of a lot of the PMS type symptoms by focusing on supporting regular healthy ovulation. Welcome to the Less Stressed Life Podcast, where our only priority is providing those aha moments to uplevel your life, health, and happiness. Your host, integrative dietitian nutritionist Krista Bigler, helps health conscious women reduce the stress and confusion around food, fatigue, digestive, and skin issues at lessstressnutrition.com. Now, onto the show. This episode is sponsored by Full Circle Prenatal. Full Circle is the only prenatal on the market with the most effective research based doses of everything you need before, during, and after pregnancy. Use the code less stressed to get a discount at fullcircleprenatal.com. Okay, today on the Less Stressed Life, we have a return guest, Kaylee McDevitt. And Kaylee, I can't remember the first episode you were on. It was like a three way conversation. Mm-hmm. Were we just talking hormones basically? Do you remember what that was about? I think it might have been PCOS if it wasn't just basic hormone Ooh, stuff. I don't remember that. We'll have to look back at it was that years at this point. episode. <laughs> yes, it was years at this point. And so we'll have to put it in the show notes, the other episode she and Robin co-interviewed for. But Kaylee McDevitt is a registered dietitian that helps her clients personalize their nutrition for optimal health and hormones. Kaylee runs a virtual private practice and is a co-creator of the online women's health course and community, Her Hormones Academy which is a great academy. She is energized by helping others take the driver's seat of their own health. And Kaylee is a dear friend and fun, like masterminding partner and business best Bessie. And today I asked her to come on and we're going to talk about why ovulation is the real MVP, which I promise will give you some answers in why, how you feel, how you feel. Welcome, Kaylee. Love it. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, you bet. So let's start with the backstory about why you give a hoot about mm-hmm. ovulation. Like I know you have some passions around hormone health. So tell us how that happened. So I went on birth control in high school. I had really, really symptomatic periods, like right off the bat. As soon as I started having them, they were awful. I would miss days of school, I was in a lot of pain. They were really heavy. Went to the doctor, was presented the option of birth control. And I was like, nice. I don't have to deal with this. Sounds great. Sign me up. So I went on it and it really did resolve a lot of those hormone symptoms at the time, but at the expense of a lot of other quality of life factors that kind of grew over time. And I found myself in grad school working on becoming a dietitian and just really not feeling like me anymore. 
My anxiety and depression was through the roof. I was dealing with a lot of digestive issues. I wasn't sleeping well. I was losing hair. And I was frantically trying to apply everything we were being taught in school at that point to no avail. I was presenting these symptoms to my doctors and switching types of birth control over and over again to try to find something that would fix it and nothing did. And ended up down many rabbit holes out of necessity initially on how to pull myself out of that. And at the time, there really wasn't much information about birth control or post-birth control syndrome or how to come off or why those symptoms were there in the first place. So by the time I finally worked my way through that and I stopped and looked around and realized that a lot of my own friends and family were dealing with the same stuff, I decided to start putting that information out there. And I was thinking I was going to be a sports dietitian this whole time. And this whole like roadmap through hormone struggles of my own totally changed that and ended up being women's health focused practice. And it's been amazing to get to do what I do and help women navigate the same issues that I had years ago. That's why I give a hoot about it. <laughs> yeah. That plan really backfired. Yes. <laughs> Dietitian plan. No. Um, I was thinking about, well, and there's other podcast episodes that talk about birth control and essentially it's suppressing mm-hmm. ovulation, which yeah. we're going to talk about. And I uh, was just thinking about, I never really thrived on birth control and mm-hmm. I wasn't very on it for very long. Because every time they put me, were you on Yaz? Yeah. I love, I felt like a psycho. Like a psychotic biatch when I was yes. on Yaz. And I love when like two years later, so it was very short lived because I was like, I feel crazy. <laughs> I'm not crazy. So I always really appreciate two years later when I see like the lawsuit commercials come out. Like yeah. if you were on this, blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh, glad that was short lived. Right. <laughs> um, but it's kind of like, it's very disconcerting. Women are not given the tools to understand our bodies. Mm-hmm. It's complex. I get it. It's complex, but like, it is sort of a mystery to people, right? And it's like, our only tool is this birth control. And there's nothing wrong with birth control if used for the right thing. It's all about like, hey, you should know about the side effects and how you could maybe counteract them and also know just some other stuff as well. So if you already have symptoms, maybe you should know what's behind those symptoms and that this is not a cure-all either, you know? Mm -hmm. So, Yep, totally agree. Okay, so before we can talk about ovulation, I feel like we should give it the context because it has to do with your menstrual cycle. And so... I mean, maybe we should stop and say birth control suppressing ovulation, but in a natural cycle, let's talk about should you track your cycle, what you gain from tracking, cycle timing, just talk to me about cycles. For sure. Yeah. Best tracking app, best tracking app, because you know that's what people really want to know. Yeah. There are a couple of good ones. It's awesome. So cycle tracking is something I would highly recommend if you are a female and you are not on hormonal birth control, because then you actually have things to track. This practice was like so mind blowing to me when I was first dabbling in this because I realized how little I knew about how my body worked. And this was after like years and years of school in a health field. And I still did not know this stuff. Cycle tracking tells you a lot about how your cycle is, how your overall health is. It's basically real time data on how your body's feeling. And it gives you insight into why your symptoms might be happening because depending on where they're happening in your cycle gives us some clues. You can even learn about thyroid function via tracking your cycles. But for anybody that's totally new to this, let's do a quick like menstrual cycle 101, throw back to Please. high school health class. Maybe, maybe. I don't think we this. learned this in high yeah. school health class. I think we just got bags of tampons and pads. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So your menstrual cycle is the roughly month-long cycle that a female body goes through every single month. 
And it starts with day one of your period. So if you are a cycling female, day one of your period starts day one of that cycle. And the first two weeks of this cycle, roughly two weeks, is what's called your follicular phase. And it gets that name because this is when a follicle in your ovary is developing and maturing an egg that can be released at ovulation. So we start with day one of our period. We spend about two weeks in what's called the follicular phase, getting an egg ready for ovulation. And then the midpoint of your cycle around day 14 on average is ovulation when that egg is actually released. And this is the time in your cycle when pregnancy could occur, if that's a goal of yours. Or if pregnancy is not a goal of yours, this is the time that we want to be really aware of and use some form of protection at this point. And then after ovulation is what's called the luteal phase. And it gets this name because the follicle that releases the egg becomes a gland called the corpus luteum. And this produces 100% of your progesterone. And that progesterone is there to carry a pregnancy if conception occurred. And if conception didn't occur, then approximately two weeks after ovulation, that lining is going to shed and you're going to have your next period. So anywhere from like 26 to 35 days is about average for females for the length of their whole cycle. You probably see most of this written as 28 days because that gives us a perfect two weeks in the follicular and a perfect two weeks in the luteal. It's okay if it doesn't always add up that way. But the focus of our talk today is about that midpoint, that ovulation. And I think there's a lot of focus on the period, whether or not the period comes, how the symptoms are at the period. But ovulation is really, like I think, deserves the spotlight in our cycle because hormone production doesn't happen without ovulation. And we can get ahead of a lot of the PMS type symptoms by focusing on supporting consistent, regular, healthy ovulation. That's what it's about. So I have lots of questions about ovulation Mm -hmm. and also cycling because I think immediately something I hear a lot in conversations with women is they talk about how their cycle keeps getting shorter. And so Mm -hmm. I want to talk about what does it mean when your cycle starts getting shorter and you're spotting before your period? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So shortening cycles, at least in my practice and my own personal experience, almost always comes with stressful times in life. This is where we're getting a shortening of the time spent with progesterone on board, which I'm sure we'll get into talking about progesterone more, but that is like the feel good anti anxiety, like sleep promoting hormone that keeps your thyroid happy, keeps your immune system in check. And so if we've got less time with progesterone on board, we typically don't feel as good and we're much more likely to have the hallmark PMS symptoms. So a shorter cycle is telling you that we need to look at a couple of things. Are we eating enough? Are we sleeping enough? Are we moving in an amount that's appropriate for the amount that we're eating? Or maybe we exercising a whole bunch? Is our stress bucket overflowing? Because this whole decision about if and when to ovulate comes down to whether or not your brain is feeling safe. So we have to think about those different inputs to the body and how the brain might perceive that and shortages of food, too much movement, a high stress situation, being sick, all of those things can throw off that signal and land you with a shorter cycle and typically more symptoms. So this is really good if someone is looking to have a baby because Mm -hmm. if ovulation comes down to your brain feeling safe and it ever feels threatened, whether it feels whether you recognize it as a threat or not, because our standards are skewed for what stress looks like for us. So sometimes it's good for someone on the outside to tell us, hey, it looks like this is kind of uncontrolled. I think we all sometimes just need that a little bit. Mm -hmm. Like we need to be told we need need some validating sources sometimes to help us understand that. All right. So let's just talk about favorite tracking apps first because I know people want to know. Yes. Two of them that I use the most with my clients, Clue and Kendara. 
I've heard really good things about the health app in the iPhone that just comes standard on there. I just haven't used it myself for cycle tracking. And then if you're looking for like an actual device that communicates with an app, I really like Daisy. That's what I've used for like five years personally. But you do not need a device to be able to track your cycle. So if you're just getting started with this and just getting your feet wet, Clue or Kendara would be great ones. Do you have any different ones that you use? Yeah, I just downloaded a bunch when I started. And the one I landed with was Pinkbird, which mm. no one's ever heard of. I just liked the format. I like the reminders. But like, I would like one that I feel like that would be useful for my teenager, actually. Mm. So I can't remember if I had her use the same one. So I probably should experiment. And I know Kendara has been like a very popular one for a long time. Yeah. I feel like Kendara was really... And uh, there's two phases of life childbearing and not childbearing. But mm-hmm. I feel like Kandara, it felt like it was like, it felt like the push was around childbearing. And you'll have to tell me because you've used it. And I just like created this opinion about it in my brain. Cause I was like, I feel like it's for, it's really focused on childbearing stuff, which yeah. duh. So like, I am actually looking for one to help my teenager. Cause this is where hormone issues start is in mm-hmm. your teenage years. Cause it's like, yep. there's stuff going on and stress and all those things. And I would like my teenager to understand those things in kind of like a teenage appropriate way. Cause she's not really trying to have a baby right now, obviously. Right. Yeah. Or, Clue would be good. Flow app is another like more basic one, but I would agree with you. The Kendara app is more tailored to somebody looking to conceive mm-hmm. at least and the I, language in there, which I mean, it's the same information, but the language is different. So for a teen. And all Daisy is doing is it's tracking your temperature. Yep. Maybe you should mention the relevance of this. Yes. So tracking your cycle, aside from just putting into an app when your period starts and when symptoms are happening, which is great, tracking your basal body temperature, which is your temperature upon waking in the morning, gives you insight into when you're ovulating and if you ovulated. And this takes your whole cycle tracking and cycle awareness up in a major way, up in a big level. And so Daisy combines the thermometer that communicates with the app. For the other apps, you can still track your basal body temperature. You're just doing it with a regular old thermometer and putting it in yourself, which is totally fine. You do not need an expensive thermometer to do this. But based on where you are in your cycle, the two phases that we were talking about, your basal body temperature is going to look very different. In the follicular phase, the first two weeks tends to be lower. And that's because we don't have progesterone around. After ovulation, when we have progesterone around, our basal body temperature actually takes an increase about a degree, like half a degree to a degree. And that's because progesterone will help your thyroid work a little bit better. And that raises your body temperature. And the degree in temperature change that you have in the luteal phase is telling you a lot about how good is your progesterone production? How long are you having progesterone around? And how's your thyroid functioning? So there's so much info to be gained from that. And if you plan on using cycle tracking as a form of birth control, something called the fertility awareness method, using the basal body temperature tracking feature is going to be essential because that's one of three indicators of ovulation. And we just have to become acutely aware of when ovulation is happening for conception or for pregnancy prevention. Let's recap on ovulation and what it is really quick. I know Mm -hmm. literally we've been talking about it like from several standpoints, but Mm -hmm. ovulation is happens when there's a communication from the brain to the ovaries, right? So let's talk about when ovulation happens. And let's talk about the importance. I know you mentioned it, but I think it's worth reiterating the importance Mm -hmm. of ovulation for progesterone, because a lot of people like 
I would say the majority of people, if you're frustrated with your hormones, it's probably because your progesterone is low. And so it's like, how do I increase my progesterone? And I think you agree. And this is what we learned through training. It's inappropriate to just be giving young childbearing women bioidentical or synthetic progesterone. It's Mm -hmm. like ridiculous because you should support the natural. It's almost as ridiculous as taking birth control to fix hormones because it doesn't do anything. It's just like masking a problem. It's just suppressing. So you want to improve someone's ability to have progesterone. Unfortunately, it doesn't fit in a Twitter caption. You know, it is what it is. So yes, will you please speak to progesterone and ovulation and whatnot? For sure. So like you were mentioning that brain is calling the shots 100% in this whole conversation. When we talk about women's health and hormones, I think everyone's mind goes to the ovaries that this is like happening just there and it's only up to them. But the ovaries are getting instructions from the brain. So we're familiar with the estrogen and progesterone chart. If you've ever Googled a menstrual cycle, you typically see that chart of estrogen and progesterone rising and falling across the month. But there are two other pituitary hormones, so coming from the brain, that are actually orchestrating that whole event. You'll see them as LH and FSH on those charts or maybe on lab work that you've had done. It's follicle-stimulating hormone and luteinizing hormone. And so it's those specific peaks of those hormones coming from the brain that allow ovulation to happen. And if we do not ovulate, we do not make progesterone at all. And I would totally agree with you, Krista, that if you've got hormone symptoms, particularly PMS types like mood swings, sleep issues, cramps, heavy periods, headaches, any of those around your period, that in almost every case can be traced back to not making enough progesterone. So supporting regular ovulation is how we support progesterone levels. And it sounds way more fun if there was just like a supplement to take to have better progesterone, but it comes down to how do we make the brain feel safe enough that it does this every single month, that it triggers ovulation so that we can make progesterone. And that takes looking at a whole lot more stuff in our life than just what's going on with our hormones. Those hormones are like the warning signs, but the root issue is often like food, sleep, stress, inflammation, those kinds of things. So I want to talk about supporting an ovulation, obviously, mm-hmm. quite a bit. But before we go there, I'm like slowly trying to walk through all these pieces because it's fabulous. And it's also like you kind of wish you had charts in front of you, right? And it's like you wish I wish there was better mnemonic devices because when I try mm-hmm. to commit this to memory, you know, I get it to an extent, but it's like, I don't, I don't know. You know, I just wish there was better mnemonic devices or like, yep. I know what it is. I wish there were some better analogies. Right? <laughs> so... <laughs> You got some analogies to throw in. I think it helps. Okay. I think maybe we should say, okay, so low progesterone is like a big problem because it's going to allow overage sort of estrogen. That's a really common thing. But low progesterone doesn't always mean high estrogen. Sometimes it also Mm -hmm. means low estrogen. So you went through some of the symptoms. I think maybe would you review symptoms of low progesterone again? And it's also going to go along with thyroid issues as you were saying Yeah. in general. So let's review those again because I think it's like so we're just driving down the road trying to commit this to memory. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. So a checklist to run through if you're trying to figure out if you have low progesterone symptoms, heavy or painful periods, periods that have a lot of clots in them. It can be like insomnia or sleep issues or changes in your sleep leading up to your cycle. Mood swings that happen closer to your cycle are big ones. Low basal body temperature readings in the luteal phase can be sluggish or, or clinically low thyroid function. You may also notice some bowel changes as you approach your period if your progesterone is low too. So that can be alternating between constipation and loose stools. Although 
progesterone tends to be a more constipating hormone. So the people with low progesterone tend to have just loose stools leading up to their period. Oftentimes headaches like menstrual migraines and things can happen around that time. Low sex drive, heightened anxiety, even tendency to break out as you approach your period. So all the fun things that we act like are normal when we experience our period are typically because we're just not making enough progesterone. And like you said, when there isn't enough progesterone, we don't have something counterbalancing the effects of estrogen. Mm -hmm. And estrogen is a proliferative hormone, meaning it's helping to grow the endometrial lining, the lining of your uterus. So if there's not progesterone keeping checks and balances over estrogen, that lining becomes super thick. And that's why we have painful, heavy, clotty periods around that time. Cool. So we know that the way to get more progesterone is through ovulation. So the question is, how do we support ovulation? Yep. So we support ovulation by making the brain feel safe. Your brain is always going to make this decision based on whether or not it seems like this is a safe time to procreate. Because of course, that's, you know, nature's intent behind ovulation is conception. And your brain really has your back. If it's detecting that you're living a crazy stressful life, that there isn't enough food available, that you're running marathons every single day, it's like, hmm, now's probably not a great time to bring a new life into this world because we don't even have enough fuel to take care of her. So we have to be eating enough on a consistent basis. And ideally, a balance of macronutrients, carbs, proteins, and fats are all important and all play a role in this process. I see a lot of women with either chronic dieting or chronic low-carb dieting or a ton of intermittent fasting running into issues with ovulation. We need to take a look at exercise. Is the amount of movement or the type of movement appropriate for us right now? And I think our ability to assess that is skewed, like you were talking about. We're so used to like really intense exercise and not feeling like we accomplished anything unless we were totally drenched in sweat and laying on the floor. And those things can work well for a little bit. And then at some point, the wheels fall off and that crosses this threshold of being too stressful for the body. So enough food, take a look at your movement. Is that appropriate for you at this time? Are there any nutrient deficiencies that we may be overlooking? Because hormone production and ovulation is a a nutrient dependent process. We can talk about some of those in a few. We'd be looking at inflammation or underlying infection. Is there something else going on in the body that's causing the brain to feel unsafe and diverting resources to, whether that's an underlying infection, something going on in the gut, chronic low-grade inflammation. And then the last thing I would say as a priority is sleep. Are we getting enough sleep? And is our circadian rhythm in check? Meaning, do we have consistent sleep and wake schedules? Are we staying on the same schedule day to day? If we have our circadian rhythm shifted significantly, that's a source of stress on the body too. So food, movement, nutrients, inflammation, and sleep. Well, awesome list. So I want to talk about nutrients for progesterone. But before we do, I think I want to just touch base really quick on incomplete ovulation, which Mm -hmm. is undeveloped follicles, which is one of the three signs of PCOS, which can take Mm -hmm. up to seven years to get diagnosed. So it's positive two for three symptoms. And so, you know, we have at least two, if not three episodes on PCOS on its own. But it's misunderstood. It doesn't even have the right name. And people who are experts in PCOS would tell you, yeah, we'd love to change the name, but we can't even get recognition the way it is. So we don't want to go mm-hmm. and change the name and confuse people more. So it's considered polycystic or lots of cysts, but cysts are undeveloped follicles um, yeah. and undeveloped follicles equal incomplete ovulation. Mm-hmm. Um, along with other symptoms would be irregular periods or hair growth in the wrong places because of elevated testosterone. So 
nipple and chin hair and central body hair, etc. So side notes, I thought yeah. it was useful to mention because you're not going to see. Will you talk about why people with PCOS will sometimes have false LH? They'll like, if you're doing ovulation strips, mm-hmm. they'll get like false positives for yeah, those. That's a really good question. So LH is one of the two pituitary hormones or brain hormones that's triggering the event of ovulation. And the ovaries need to see a spike in LH in order to trigger the ovulation event. What happens in PCOS is LH tends to stay high. So it stays at a baseline elevation, but it's a baseline flat high. So they're not seeing that peak that's actually going to trigger the event of ovulation. So those ovulation test strips are looking to look for LH in the urine, which normally would tell somebody that they were approaching ovulation or ovulation was imminent. But if yours stays high consistently, you may get a false positive on those OPK strips. And it's basically that you're not seeing a spike, but it's staying high. And that's why ovulation test strips are not going to be super accurate in somebody with PCOS. It's detecting a hormone that's always high. Which is annoying, by the way. Super annoying. Yep. It's really hard to do hormone testing around ovulation when that's going on. Like, Mm -hmm. very difficult. I think this is also a good time to maybe mention peaks and valleys of progesterone and estrogen. And peaks and valleys are why we have menstrual bleeds. So Mm -hmm. will you speak to the spike and then decrease and like when that happens? And that will help us round out our understanding of the cycle as well. Sure. So in the first half of the cycle, so follicular phase, estrogen is steadily rising. And it's actually a a peak in estrogen that's telling the brain to trigger LH to trigger ovulation. So it's a multi-step event, but you're going to see, or you should see your highest level of estrogen right before ovulation. And it's actually that high level of estrogen that's changing uh, cervical fluid consistency. So if you're somebody that is tracking your cycle with basal body temperature, cervical fluid, and maybe even cervical position, it's that change in estrogen right before ovulation that's showing you those signs that you're paying attention to. And then after ovulation, what should happen is progesterone should steadily rise. And that's because after ovulation, we now have the corpus luteum that's cranking out progesterone for us. And that should peak somewhere around day 21, 19 to 21-ish in most females. So about a week after ovulation. That's why if you've ever done any hormone testing like Dutch test or maybe even blood work, we want to take tests at specific times in the month to catch these things. We want to know what progesterone looks like at its most robust time in the cycle. And if pregnancy does not occur in that cycle after around day 21, progesterone starts to decline. And once progesterone and estrogen reach their lowest point, that's actually triggering the release or the shedding of the uterine lining that causes your period. And then the whole cycle starts back over again after that. Got it. Okay. I want to talk about nutrients for progesterone. And then I want to go back and talk about funny things about cycles for sure. Okay. Okay, Nutrients for progesterone. Yes. Vitamin B6 plays a really big role in progesterone production and the health of the corpus luteum. Selenium is a really important antioxidant here. Vitamin C is very helpful for progesterone production. Vitamin E and zinc. Back to B6 for a second. So there's Mm -hmm. some studies that show using B6 during PMS is really effective. Mm -hmm. Do you remember the dose? It depends on the form. I've had the best luck with the P5P form, like Mm -hmm. 25 to 50 milligrams. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it seems to be quite effective. Um, Oh, yeah. It was a big game changer for me personally, too. Cool. When did you experiment with that for the first time, going back in time? 
Yeah. Oh, it was a long time ago, but when I first transitioned off birth control, I had really terrible periods and that's because my body wasn't used to making progesterone. So I had all of those symptoms that I rattled off earlier in our conversation. So after a couple of months of that, I think I stumbled across that research about B6 and started taking it and it did make a pretty significant impact pretty quickly, which was great. Mm -hmm. Because there's some things, I'm not a huge supplementation of selenium fan personally, Mm -hmm. because, you know, sometimes you're like scarred by things. I'll never forget the guy who called who had like selenium poisoning. And so I'm like, yep, stick a few Brazil nuts (laughs) (laughs) or let's use what's in your multi or whatever. And it is an essential nutrient, but it's just like overdosing can happen in some Mm -hmm. things. And so I tend to shy away from over supplementing that. Um, Yeah. I was thinking while you were describing things, I'm over here like, what analogies could we use for this? And so I was thinking about something showing up to a party and it like telling so-and-so, telling so-and-so, telling like, there's got to be some chain reaction process analogy. We'll have to work on this because (laughs) I feel like it's way more interesting when I can like make it in, when I can personify it a little bit. Okay. So we talked about the nutrients. One more thing for sure I want to touch base on is we've been talking about cycle timing. You're kind of into moon phases and cycles. So go ahead and speak to that. Yeah, this is really fascinating to me. I wish I had some kind of research or anything substantial to back this up. This is like folklore. (laughs) But the story is that most women, if on natural cycles, so not on birth control, will naturally start to sync up with the phases of the moon because the moon phases are on about a 28 to 30 day cycle as well. And so for the average female or the typical female, they tend to have their period during the new moon when there's basically no moon in the sky and ovulate during the full moon. And the folklore on this was that the ovulation during the full moon meant that there was a lot more light and that it would be easier to find your partner and potentially conceive under the full moon and that you would be bleeding during the new moon when it was dark. It was a little bit more discreet. You had your privacy. What's really interesting to me is that Back in those days, the helping women, like the healthcare women at that time or the nurturing women at that time would actually have the reverse schedule where they would bleed on the full moon and ovulate on the new moon so that they could be there to take care of the rest of the women during their periods, which was really fascinating because I've asked a lot of our friends and colleagues and a lot of people in helping professions, which isn't just healthcare teachers, it can be like caretakers, it can even be the person that would be like the go-to person in your friend group or your family for health information tends to be on that reverse cycle, which is super fascinating. I don't know if I asked you, Krista, are you synced up with me? Ask me this later when I can look this up. Um, (laughs) Because I am not like, I don't live and die by this. Uh, Oh, me neither. It's just fun. Yeah, it is fun. And I knew last time you posted about this, I was like, oh, yep, on cue. And I actually have a friend slash client and she was like so excited that her cycle was kind of syncing up. with the- But this goes along with, you know, the old expression, like women who live together cycle together. The thought yeah. is that we should all kind of cycle together. Yep. And how cool is that? And how cool is it that we're synced up with the moon? I just think that that's really amazing. Yeah. And it's beyond sometimes our understanding. I mean, but if you ask any doula or midwife, they would say like, everyone has a baby the same time. Mm-hmm you know, or like any ER nurse will tell you all the crap happens on full moon. And I don't, you know, totally get that. I feel like we should have asked somebody when we were in Sedona. I feel like we would have gotten some cool information about this. Go find someone, you know, and that's the thing is like, I'd like to interview someone on X, but I kind of like the science of it. But this one's still kind of fun. I mean, we know that women that, you know, live together, cycle together. And I think we can go from that at minimum. So 
Yeah. Anyway, Kaylee, you're so concise yet so packed with so much good stuff. I feel like we've covered this pretty well. Is there anything we missed or anything you want to leave people with today? Hmm. I don't think we missed anything, but I will just say, take the time to learn how to track this and do yourself a favor and do this for several months because the level of understanding that you can create for yourself is unmatched. Learning how to track your cycle and really just body literacy as a whole, like knowing where you are in the cycle, paying attention to those symptoms, like getting curious about those symptoms. Why are they happening? Where are they happening? It's going to give you so much more power back when it comes to controlling your health and really feeling good all month long. I think prior to learning all of this stuff, I felt like I was just kind of along for the ride and I was looking for other practitioners to fix me or tell me what I needed to do. And I think we have to take the driver's seat of what we're doing here. I mean, our health is our responsibility. And this is an opportunity to learn about how your body works so that you can listen and support it better. And I think it should be required education for all women. So maybe one day we'll get into high schools and fix the health mm. class spiel. <laughs> Well, I'm sure a lot of people felt, you know, resonated when it was like, you need to be able to look within and have the answers as well. And so educating yourself on this is a really big deal. Kaylee, Her Hormones Academy is a great resource, but where can people find you online? You can find me on Instagram at KayleeRD. My name is spelled weird for Kaylee. It's K-A-E-L-Y. And then my website's the same, KayleeRD.com. So I do a lot of free educating over on Instagram. And then if you prefer to read things in long form, I have some blogs on my website. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming on today. Thanks for having me. Ladies, if you are listening to this episode, I know you're probably in the fertile stage of life. Did you know that what you're doing right now affects your fertility potential in three months? Did you know that up to 95% of women enter pregnancy without proper choline stores, which is seriously one of my favorite underrated nutrients for skin, liver, and brain health, but it's essential for preventing neural tube defects and developing babies? I would challenge you to find a prenatal with the quality, integrity, and research that my friend and colleague Ayla Barmer has invested into full circle prenatal. For example, 4,000 IUs of vitamin D has been proven safe and effective in pregnancy for baby's bone development, plus baby and mama's immune function. These nutrients I've mentioned are physically large, so you'll routinely see them getting skipped or skimped in other prenatals trying to save room or space. Even though full circle prenatal is packing big effective doses backed by research, it's so gentle and bioavailable because the creator has carefully curated the forms of nutrients that are best absorbed and used by your body. This means you're taking care of you, your future baby, or your current baby without the queasy stomach that you'll find in some other products. Head over to fullcircleprenatal.com to learn more and use the code less stressed to get a discount on your order. One of the best gifts you could give us at The Less Stress Life is your feedback. We are paid in podcast reviews. If you enjoyed this or any other episode, please leave us a review. In the iTunes store or from your podcast app, just search for Less Stress Life as if you're not already subscribed. Click on the banana face image, scroll to the bottom where it shows the text of other reviews, and write a review. While you're there, hey, make sure you hit subscribe. For Android or Stitcher users, you gotta go to 
the desktop site and search for Less Stress Life and then scroll down to leave a review. Stitcher doesn't load Apple reviews on their site, so if you want, you can leave a review in both places. Your feedback means a lot to the success of the show. Thanks so much for taking the time to do that. You rock. 